Once again tonight, continuing in our recap of Revelation. Tonight, once again in chapter 7, salvation belongs to our God. I think one of the things that um, has fascinated me for a long time and that me and Mark started discussing years ago was we had this realization that the nature of the writing of the book of Daniel is that it basically breaks down into two parts wherein you see the character of the people of God that is necessary to be able to do the things that are described in the prophetic portion about what will be happening in the kingdom and in the midst of the people of God. And Revelation and Daniel being one and the same prophecy, part one and part two, you see the exact same thing in the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, here I think the line is even more clear cut. The scene opens with John being caught up to heaven and seeing his Savior and Christ beginning to dictate to him a letter to his churches about where they are at in their process of sanctification, where they have been well conformed to him, where there is still conforming that needs to be done, and the promises and warnings that coincide with those things. We see the character of Christ formed in his people to a fuller extent in the heavenly scene where they weep over the fact that no one is able to open the scroll that is in the hand of Him who sits on the throne and then bountiful worship is breaking out in a way that surely the text can only begin to hint at when the Lamb that was slain is revealed to be able to open the scroll. And from there, off we go. The seals begin to break, and that which was barred from Daniel, for it was appointed for the time of the end, begins to be revealed. With the breaking of the fifth seal, the seventieth week of Daniel, the seven years proper of the tribulation has begun, evidenced by significant martyrdom of the church and the saints. And then with the breaking of the sixth seal, we see the introduction to the great tribulation, the last three and a half years of the seventieth week of Daniel has brought us right up to the threshold door where God told Daniel no more. It's the summation of God's response to the combined rebellion of Satan and man in the mystery of lawlessness. These days are cut short in order that God may seal on the forehead those who serve Him. You know, everybody gets all wound up when you read the Revelation about the mark of the beast. Satan is nothing but a mimetic counterfeiter from the very beginning. Doesn't have an original idea. The mark of the beast is nothing but a copy of what God has been doing with his people from the very beginning. As he marks them out, seals them, and sets them apart to himself. Here we see the very particular sealing of 120,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel that are set apart to be his witnesses, both to Judea and to the world. At this moment, the Lord says, Stop. You talk about the pause before the quiet before the storm. Chapter 7, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. He called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying... Do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number sealed, 
144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel at the moment. You want to talk about the wrath of God being revealed against men in the gospel. Romans chapter 1. We've been hammering on Sunday morning here for the last several weeks as we look at this overarching picture of the gospel in Romans when Paul says, man, here's what the gospel does. It reveals the wrath of God. It reveals the righteousness of God. It reveals the salvation of God that is achieved through righteousness over His wrath. Man, you want to see the ultimate picture of it. Here is the last shot. Right before the fullness of the wrath of God is about to begin its revealing, God goes, just wait. Wait. Until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. You know, Matthew chapter 24 in verse 22, Jesus makes a profound statement. He makes a lot of profound statements in Matthew 24. So I guess that's a, a little bit of a given. But in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22, well, let's go with 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Here you see the beginning of that tribulation that has never been before or will ever be again. Here you see the cutting short of the wrath of God for a moment that the servants of God may be sealed. When humans go to abbreviate events, by default we have a tendency to shorten things by subtracting from the end. But when the Antichrist declares himself to be God, we see the Father shorten the days of his response and wrath by subtracting from the beginning instead of the end, by taking the time to seal his people, to show mercy and grace, that he may provide protection does it for the sake of the elect. He doesn't do it for the sake of the world. He doesn't do it for the sake of the Antichrist. He doesn't do it for the sake of those that are bound up in lawlessness because he just feels so bad about what he's about to bring on him. He shortens the day of his wrath. Shortens the day of his wrath in order that he may show mercy to his people. Guys, let me tell you something. God is both just and the justifier. But when you look consistently through Scripture, what you will find when it comes to His people when justice and justification is put in the scale. Justification wins the day. And it does so through God being just in Jesus Christ. Well, in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 through 12. After this I looked and behold the great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. After this, after this ceiling of 144,000 fully pedigreed 
blood-born sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see the result that was intended. You see what God intended in the sending out of His Word come to fruition, where now, instead of seeing a multitude that can absolutely be numbered down to the last man of 144,000 that were very specifically from a very specific ethnic group, now you see a multitude, a myriad from every nation, Jew and Gentile, standing before the throne. All the tribes, peoples, languages, before the throne and before the land, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand. The reality is, is that salvation is not a Jewish phenomenon. Be careful here. You don't want to go down the wrong path. Scripture makes it clear that salvation is from the Jews. I say we want to be careful in saying that because I think that if you look at the needle of error in the church in America today, we are way far in the error category on dismissing the role that Israel has played and continues to play in the manner in which salvation is unfolding. But if we want to look at Scripture with the clearest of lenses, the reality is, is you see someone here from every tribe and every nation and every language because salvation is not a Jewish phenomenon. But buddy, salvation comes from the Jews because that's where Jesus says that it comes from. In John chapter 4, verse 21 through 22, Speaking to the woman at the well, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. But salvation doesn't belong to the Jews. Salvation belongs to God. And this is what they're crying out in heaven. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. This is not a new concept. As a matter of fact, these Jews from which salvation comes from to the nations have been proclaiming this concept from the very beginning when God showed them salvation. In Psalm chapter 3, verse 7-8, through we sing it all the time. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people, Selah. And in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9-10-11. For a real world context, with the voice of thanksgiving, Will I sacrifice to you what I vowed to you I will pay? Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out of the dry land. There it is. And these people cry out that salvation belongs to God, that God is their God, for they have participated in the salvation of the Lamb, a singular salvation that belongs to no one else. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. 
There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is from the Jews, but it doesn't belong to the Jews. Salvation is from faith and for faith, but it doesn't belong to faith. Salvation belongs to God and to God alone. Before His throne, they set their robes washed white in the blood of the Lamb, glorifying God for His salvation. These people who have such joy, those who have been faithful unto death. Revelation chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. One of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are those that were foretold. They are foretold from of old. Their name has been written in the Lamb's book of life since before the foundation of time. They are those that are foretold right here in the very book of Revelation, right where Jesus is speaking to His churches and speaking about what the character of the people must be to walk through the events of the consummation of the kingdom. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, speaking to the church in Smyrna, John takes the dictation from our Lord to them when he says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. What is true... Smyrna is true on a grand scale. The grandest of scales for the people of God during the consummation of the age. Here you see the faithfulness of the church. The church did its hard press. Pressed harder than it has ever been pressed before or since and shines brighter than it ever has been, ever has shown up to this point. The reality is this is just a tough truth. It's just a tough historical truth. That the church does the best when it's pressured. That's just true. And the suffering in which Christ suffered when we are enjoined with that. I'm not going to preach on that tonight. I mean, you can look at what Peter said, you can look at what Paul said. To the point that these guys that they connect to join in the suffering of Christ as a provision for salvation. It is part and partial to sanctification. The reality is, if, if the Lord allows us as His people to go through this life as, as sealed believers and never causes us to suffer for His name, then there is a large portion of our sanctification that is woefully incomplete and at the judgment seat of Christ will be part of the wood, hay, and stubble that is consumed. Because, man, you can't talk about the character of Christ and being conformed to that character without talking about the character of suffering well for the glory of God. I mean, that is as Jesus Christ as it gets. 
That's as Jesus Christ as it gets. And so, man, when you look back over the centuries, as difficult as it is to acknowledge, because then you say, like, well, man, we want to shine as bright as we can. Are you asking to pray that we should suffer? And, man, I, I get the, I understand the difficulty of that prayer, especially when you see things around you that could potentially cause very real suffering. But the reality is, is the church shines the brightest not when we go seeking suffering for suffering's sake, but when God ordains that we should suffer for the testimony of His name. I mean, it was the playbook that finally curtailed the explosion of salvation at the end of the 2nd century. Satan figured out real quick, this crushing deal is not working out. Let's just baby him. Let's make him important. Let's make him special. Let's give him power. Let's give him prestige. The true church of God has endured from the very sending of it forth. It's always there somewhere. Man, what Satan did was very effectual. The Lord brought it to an end. In the midst of being hard-pressed, it was a thousand years later that we see it just exploding into the shining brightness of the Reformation again. Here, we see it shine the brightest that it has up to this moment in time. Not the brightest that it will shine, but the brightest that it has up to this moment because it is being pressured harder than it has ever been pressured up to this moment. He says, Sir, who are these? said to him, Sir, you know. He said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. What you are seeing here is the faithful doing faithfulness. The faithful doing what the faithful must do. Lord talked to Daniel about this in chapter 12 of the book of Daniel in verses 1 through 4. Right when he's getting ready to seal this thing up and say, okay, Daniel, you don't get to see me more until I show the rest of John. And it says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation until that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise, those who are wise, it's a very particular word. It literally means they who understand. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And so here we see at the time of the end all of the things that are associated with the last half of the 70th week of Daniel, even the resurrection from the dead, resurrection 1.0, resurrection 2.0. Those who are resurrected to everlasting life, the 
coming of Jesus Christ and those who will be resurrected at the end of the millennium from the white throne judgment unto everlasting damnation. We see all of this in the midst of it. We see the people that are wise, that are turning many to righteousness. And they shine like the sun. So what does it mean to be wise? Well, it's already been defined. Daniel chapter 11, verse 33 through 35. It's the only other place in the book of Daniel that this particular word is used. It's mescaline. Daniel chapter 11, verse 33. Well, let's back up to 32 just for a little context with the Antichrist and the manner in which the persecution has come upon the church. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Those that are coming out of the great tribulation wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. The wise among the people shall make many understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by the sword and flame by captivity and plunder. And when they stumble they shall receive a little help. And many shall join to themselves in flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. For it still waits the appointed time. The wise among the people shall make many understand. What shall they make them understand? They will make them understand who their God is. They will make them understand Daniel chapter 12 that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake and some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky of Above and those who turn many to righteousness. The wise are they that understand. Unlike those who violate the covenant, the wise know how to turn many to righteousness. They know how to turn many to the righteous one. The wise are those that know their God. In the midst of a fractured national Israel, a large portion of which is turning after the Antichrist, abandoning the truth of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and turning to Him as God. The wise are those that know their God and shall shine like the sun. The reality is, is in the midst of great persecution, our ancient foe may war and kill, but these will know. They know that salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And that's what they're crying. And they've just been through it. These people have literally just been slaughtered for their testimony. And what they've got to say is salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb. What a salvation it is. For it continues in verse 15. It says, therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve Him day and night in His temple, and He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, 
He will guide them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All because they know their God. They've been sealed with the seal of the everlasting God to whom salvation belongs. And having been made faithful, they go about doing the things of faithfulness. Not seeking out suffering is some kind of forced penance. But those that understand that even in the midst of it, God is good to conform them to the character of His Son who suffered for the glory of the Father, for the glory of His own name, and for the joy of His people. Jim, will pray for us.